All right, I invite you to find Luke chapter 4 in the Bible um, that you've got with you. Luke chapter 4, the very end of the chapter, actually. Um, We have a a very simple idea in front of us this morning. Here um, at the end of Luke chapter 4, the author, Luke, gives us a uh, what we could call a snapshot of Jesus' ministry. What we could call it a, a summary of Jesus' ministry. We, we see very clearly here in this picture that Luke gives us of what Jesus is doing. We, it's very easy to see the three priorities that he had as he walked among real people and ministered the kingdom of God to them. And so, very simply, we're just going to notice the three priorities that Jesus had in his gospel ministry, and notice how, as we follow in his footsteps, those are the same priorities that we take with us as we walk out these doors, walk among people, attempt to do gospel ministry. And so, we could very simply call it, um, our ministry paradigm is given to us here. We should do... This and this and this, these three things. We should picture the kingdom. We should proclaim the kingdom. And we should desire the kingdom. That's what we're going to see from Jesus here. We're going to notice those things in the text, and then we're going to talk about what it might look like to engage in those same things in our lives individually and as a church. And we're also going to notice where each of those priorities might challenge us as we undertake them, because each of them does present us with some unique issues in terms of how we're used to thinking and how we're used to behaving, okay? We're studying the Christian ministry paradigm. This is Luke starting in verse 31, reading through at the end of the chapter. All right, let's read about it first and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Let's stand in honor of God and his word, shall we? Luke 4.31. You remember, uh, skipping back two weeks ago, that at Nazareth they had tried to put Jesus to death. That's verse 30. Verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee. So he's still up in the same region. He's not far from Nazareth. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. 
Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Lord, we commit this time to you in the word. Um, This is for you. We want to offer you our, our minds and our hearts. At the same time that we're doing this um, effort together in the word, we admit to you, Father, that we ourselves are very needy. And we ask you, um, as a gift, if you would give us what Paul calls the steadfastness of Christ. There are all kinds of needs for steadfastness represented in this room this morning. And we want to come humbly before you and say that the resources to just handle life on our own are not within us. And so we apply to you and ask you to give us the steadfastness of Christ, that kind of steadfastness that endures difficulty, even with joy, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before us. It's not in us, but it is in you. And so I ask for that gift for your people as we call ourselves your people and want to look into this passage to see how we can better take the name of Jesus to those around us. We pray that you would do that work and and change our hearts, make us attentive, um, rouse our spirits, excite our hearts, um, thrill our, our minds and our hearts with this wonderful Jesus who we love. And we ask in his holy and very precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're talking about the ministry paradigm, and the first thing that we notice, this is the longest section of the passage. It's quite a lengthy passage, isn't it? The first 10 or so verses, verses 31 to 41, we notice the kingdom pictured. That's the first priority that we notice in Jesus. What we could call the kingdom pictured. Meaning this, that the kingdom of God is pictured in the meeting of physical needs. The kingdom of God is pictured in the meeting of physical needs. We have the deliverance of a man in verses 31 to 37. We have the deliverance of a woman in verses 38 and 39. And then we have, in verses 40 and 41, the deliverance of the masses, of everyone. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So, deliverance of a man, deliverance of a woman, deliverance of the masses. What's happening here in this town? Jesus is freeing people from every kind of physical suffering. 
meeting physical needs. And we're saying that pictures the kingdom of God. Okay, It shows what the kingdom of God is like. We've talked about how the kingdom of God is an already and a not yet phenomenon. How there's a sense in which it was present in Jesus and is now present in the believer and will be present in all its fullness when Christ returns, that we have not yet seen the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. But we know from scripture what it will be like. We, we have descriptions of what the kingdom of God will be like, especially Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 35. In those two places, Isaiah 11 and 35, probably the most vivid descriptions of what this kingdom of God is like. It will be a place where people will be freed from these physical conditions that bring suffering. There will be no more blind or deaf or lame or hungry or thirsty. And we read at the very end of Isaiah 35 that sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isn't that a beautiful description? It will be a time and a place where sorrow and sighing will flee away. Anyone sighed in the last week? I know you have. In the kingdom of God, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And we just want to notice that that's what's happening in Capernaum. Sorrow and sighing are fleeing away in that place. At that time, it's being replaced with wonder and healing and joy. And it's all centered on Jesus. That little town has become a little picture of the kingdom of God. We see the kingdom of God pictured wherever Jesus goes as these physical needs are are being met. And we've talked about how we as Christians, as his followers, are the present manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom of God is the realm in which God is reigning. And we are that realm right now. He's reigning in me, in you, Christian. And so it's our privilege now, and must be our priority now, to picture the kingdom of God everywhere we go through meeting the physical needs of people. And we might wonder, what exactly does that look like for us to be meeting the physical needs of people? Well, there's a great and helpful description of this kind of ministry in Matthew 25. What do we find there? I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So both by his example here in Luke 4, in his words there in Matthew 25, both by his example and his words, Jesus conveys to us, his students, that we are to prioritize the meeting of physical needs and thus picture the kingdom of God everywhere we go. That there would be little kingdom manifestations every place where you set your foot. And 
Now let's talk about how this might challenge us. Because we're not all from the same denominational background. I know that we have represented here uh, people who formerly were part of the Catholic Church, formerly part of the Lutheran Church, formerly part of the Methodist Church, formerly part of probably just about every kind of denomination we could think of. All those backgrounds are present in this room. And what I want to say is that the denominational background that I have come out from It's not a repudiation of that denomination. I'm just telling you what my experience was. Not the free church, different denomination. I'm not going to name it. Many of you probably know what it is. But that denomination that I have spent 90% of my time in during my life, not only failed to prioritize the meeting of physical needs, but actually managed to stigmatize the meeting of physical needs. I don't think that they meant to convey this message to me as a, like a junior high student or a high school student. Like it wasn't explicit in our services and what we did. They weren't, I don't think, intentionally sending this message, but the message that I got and I got it, the message that I got is that the only legitimate form of ministry to the outside world is evangelism. And if we get too excited about meeting the physical needs of people, that is a kind of warning and a kind of danger because then we're on the slippery slope of sliding down into only caring about what is commonly called the social gospel that's only concerned with the transformation of society from a physical and social standpoint, not at all from a spiritual standpoint. And so I think there was a kind of fear there that if we give too much attention to physical needs, that we're going to go in that direction, like all those other people. And so we're not going to do any of that stuff. In fact, if you are interested in doing that stuff, that's a kind of a problem. And you're a kind of represent a kind of danger to the church. I'm not saying that's what they said. I'm saying that's the message that I got growing up in that environment. Maybe you experienced the same thing. Maybe that's even your view right now. What we want to learn from this passage is that we do not need to be afraid of engaging in a robust ministry of meeting the physical needs of people. If we do that, it does not mean that we're on a slippery slope to compromise. It means that we've read and understood our Bibles. It means that we're entering into the ministry of Jesus in all of its fullness as representatives of the kingdom of God. Now, not to be neglectful of the other two priorities, because there are two other priorities that are present here. The next thing we want to notice, something we're very familiar with, is verses 43 and 44, skipping to the end, we see the kingdom proclaimed. Jesus says, I must preach. Okay, so now we have the kingdom pictured. We've got the kingdom proclaimed. I must preach. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. 
proclaiming the kingdom, preaching the good news, is something that's done to meet the spiritual needs of people. That speaks to a spiritual need that every person has. So now we see both of, both of these things present, both the meeting of physical needs and the meeting of spiritual needs. And in this idea of proclaiming the kingdom, preaching the good news, we just mean exposing to people their sin and their need to be reconciled to God. We expose to people their sin and their need to be reconciled to God and we explain to them how they can be reconciled to God through repentance and placing their faith in Jesus. That is the only way to be reconciled to God. I don't want to assume that everyone that's come into this room this morning or is listening online has heard before, has heard this message before that we are indeed separated from God because of sin, that there is a chasm between you and God because of your sin. And did you know that you can't make it up to him by being good? Did you know that you cannot make it up to him by being good? That's what we do when we have offended our neighbor. When we've offended our neighbor, we make a casserole and we take it over to him and we say, I'm sorry. And that hopefully does the trick. You can't do that with God. You cannot take God enough. I did not intend to use this illustration. You cannot take God enough casserole to make it up to him. No irreverence intended, but it's not possible. You can't just be a little bit better than other people. Did you know that it's only by casting your whole self on the person of Jesus. That's all. You must cast your whole self on the person of Jesus Christ in faith. And that's how you are reconciled to God. That's what bridges the chasm. And when you do that, you need not anymore fear death or punishment or judgment. Jesus has taken all of that in your place. He experienced that for you. And now you may know peace and joy in Jesus Christ. That news that that I just shared, that news about salvation through Jesus Christ meets the deepest spiritual need of every person. It is the news, it is the reconciliation that heals the one great brokenness in your life. Your separation from your creator. That one great brokenness in your life that is the source of all of the other kinds of brokenness in your life. You must be reconciled to God. Come home. Be reconciled to God through the only appointed means of reconciliation. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's a strange thing that such a beautiful message should also be such an unwelcome message in our world. The reason it's so unwelcome is because that which meets our deepest spiritual need, our need to be reconciled to our Father, that message that reaches our deepest spiritual need also confronts our deepest spiritual desire, which is the desire to be enough in ourselves, to believe that we're self-sufficient, and self-determining. The good news of the kingdom of God requires us to lay all that down, that deeply-seated spiritual pride that we are enough. The good news of the kingdom says you have to lay that down in order to embrace Jesus. And that's something that a person doesn't do naturally. Only the Holy Spirit can do that work inside of you. So at times when this message is shared, when we go out and we do proclaim the kingdom and we do talk about Jesus and we do preach reconciliation, his name, the result oftentimes is hostility because that's the natural human reaction to someone telling you to lay down your self-determination and your self-sufficiency. We don't actually want to do that. And you know, hardly anyone out there in the world is against meeting physical needs. You don't have to be a Christian to think feeding a hungry person is a good thing. You'll get applauded by a lot of people as you go out and try to picture the kingdom through meeting physical needs. A lot of even non-Christians will applaud that kind of an effort and that kind of a program. But the uniquely Christian aspect of our ministry paradigm is that we don't stop with the meeting of physical needs, that we press on to minister to the whole person, to the inside of that person that's broken, that needs healing, that needs to be reconciled to their father. Because this ministry of the word, this ministry of preaching or evangelism is unwelcome in many respects, um, some Christian denominations have just abandoned it and said, we're going to be good with meeting physical needs, but we're not going to preach to people. We're not going to talk about the need for people to be reconciled through faith in Jesus. And many of what we could call the mainline denominations have gone that direction. I mentioned earlier that I grew up in a denomination that was the opposite of that. We didn't prioritize meeting physical needs at all. Now we're confronted also with another group of Christian denominations that say we're only going to prioritize physical ministries. And what we want to notice about both of those camps, both of those points of view, is that they share the same problem. Too small a view of the kingdom of God. That's the one illness that they both share. Too small a vision of the kingdom of God. Think about the return of the prodigal son. We're going to get to the prodigal son, the parable, eventually. We get to chapter 15. But 
you know it so well, many of you know it so well, think about it, think back in your mind. What does he get when he comes home? He gets reconciliation to his father. He's made whole spiritually. The chasm in the relationship with his father is healed. Oh yeah, and he also gets new clothes and a feast. He gets both. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's our paradigm. That's what we bring to people. Full reconciliation to God and a full stomach. The whole package, a robust ministry, a high view, a comprehensive view of the kingdom of God. Meeting the physical needs of people, meeting the spiritual needs of people. Now, if we didn't have this passage in front of us, Luke 4, 31 to 44, if we weren't in this text, we might very well think that at this point we've covered it all. Like, what else is there? We got meeting people's physical needs, meeting people's spiritual needs. That's ministry, right? That's the whole package. What else could there possibly be? Let's go and do likewise. This study is over. But there's one more thing here. And it's the most neglected part. It's the part that we neglect the most. This third part, this third priority of Jesus. We've seen the kingdom pictured. We've seen the kingdom proclaimed. But the thing, the last thing, the other thing that we see from Jesus, this is verse 42, is the kingdom desired. That's what we see in verse 42. Verse 42 reads this way. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. What was he doing there? The gospel of Mark chapter one adds this one additional detail. He went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. He went out to commune with his father. He went out to pray. He desired to be with God the Father. And we cannot overlook this third priority on display in the life of Jesus, which really was the first priority, which really was the foundation of everything that he did. All of his ministry was built on his relationship with his father. There was a real attachment to and a real devotion to God and his kingdom. And I think we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, is this true of me? Is this true of us? Is there actually in me and in us a real attachment and devotion to God and his kingdom? Do I really desire it? Or do I just do all these things out of habit or guilt? Do I do all these things in in ministry out of 
habit because that's what I'm supposed to do or guilt or desire to build my own kingdom? Is there any authentic attachment in my heart to the kingdom of God? Do I desire it? Do I love it? Is there any real attachment to God that would drive me to commit time when no one else is around to just be with the Father and pray as we've been taught? Thy kingdom come. Is it your great desire to see the kingdom of God on earth? Do you pray thy kingdom come? I think it's much more common to hear Christians pray, Lord, bless our church. Lord, bless our country. Lord, bless our businesses. Lord, bless our families. There's nothing wrong about entreating God's favor and his blessing. There's nothing wrong with those prayers. I'm just asking you the question, do we still pray the Christian prayer? Thy kingdom come. Is there anyone here who in their heart will never be satisfied with this home? even this great home that we enjoy? Is there anyone here who in their heart will never be satisfied with this home as long as Jesus is not here physically, reigning and being worshiped and bringing his kingdom of peace to the whole earth? Is there anyone whose heart is detached from their home because they're looking to another home. All we're saying is that if Christians are satisfied with the here and now, who is left to pray the disciples' prayer, thy kingdom come, if if not us? Is that desire on anyone's heart? Are those words on anyone's lips? This, brothers and sisters, is the foundation of our ministry paradigm. We, we may have grand ideas about we, what we want to do out there in terms of preaching to people and talking to people and ministering to people, but this is the foundation. Actually, in our own hearts, desiring the kingdom of God, seeking God himself. Never forget that we are pilgrims on a journey seeking another home. Strangers and aliens in this world pointing people to another kingdom, an eternal kingdom, with both our words and our actions. And that's it. That's very simple. That's our ministry paradigm. Those are the three parts. And we are unhealthy and we're incomplete if any of the three parts are not present All three must be present. And so as a church, we will pursue picturing the kingdom, prioritizing and planning ways to meet the physical needs of the community around us. 
And we will pursue and we will plan more ways to proclaim the kingdom to the community around us, just as we do every Sunday and every Wednesday in this building. And as we long to do more and more, not only in this building, but also out there. And we will keep cultivating a true and sincere love for God and desire for his kingdom. We will pray the Christian prayer, thy kingdom come. We're actually going to do that together as a benediction today. It's part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. We will pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. And that's a prayer that you can offer to God on your own every hour of every day in your time alone with him. That is the ministry of Jesus, and that's our ministry paradigm. You can take that as a a personal life mission. Picture the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom, desire the kingdom. Amen. Lord, uh, let, let our love for you be first in our hearts. May we not be so excited about what we can do for you that we neglect the time spent with you. Let us not be so energized by meeting the physical needs of people that we draw back and withhold the message that they need that will minister to their deepest spiritual needs reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ. And may we not be so secure and puffed up in our knowledge of these beautiful doctrines of salvation that we hold back and we neglect to meet the real physical needs of people. I I pray that as a church, you would help us to engage without fear a robust ministry that looks like your son to the glory of your name, amen.